Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Inside Politics. I'm Manu in for Dana Bash. Let's get right to our top story. Is Donald Trump immune from prosecution for actions he took in office? That crucial question now in the hands of three judges on the D.C. Court of Appeals. Trump says he cannot be prosecuted for trying to overturn the election because they were, quote, official actions he took while president. And moments ago, we heard from Trump himself. I think it's very unfair when a opponent, a political opponent, is prosecuted by the DOJ, by Biden's DOJ, Uh, So they're losing in every poll. They're losing in almost every demographic. Uh, Numbers came out today that are uh, really very mind-boggling if you happen to be Joe Biden. And I think they feel this is the way they're going to try and win. That was outside the courtroom. Inside the court, with his D.C. criminal trial looming, Trump's lawyer and the special counsel's office made their cases in the high-stakes hearing today. If a president has to look over his shoulder or her shoulder every time he or she has to make a, con- a, a controversial decision and worry after I leave office, if I go into jail for this, when my political opponents take power, that inevitably dampens the ability of the president. Never in our nation's history until this case has a president claimed that immunity from criminal prosecution extends beyond his time in office. The president has a unique constitutional role, but he is not above the law. Now, a ruling could come quickly and will likely be appealed to the Supreme Court. CNN's Evan Perez is outside the courthouse. Evan, these judges seem very skeptical about Trump's argument. That's right, Mana. This was a very skeptical audience that uh, uh, certainly the Trump team was facing today. Uh, one of the things that uh, really stood out was uh, the, 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 the various uh, hypotheticals that the judge kept trying to uh, pose to Trump's attorneys, uh, to John Sauer, uh, to try to test his argument, which is that uh, the former president cannot be prosecuted because of uh, the acts that he was uh, accused of doing while in office. And the, the crux of that argument turns on this idea that because the former president was impeached by the House and was acquitted by the Senate, that means that there cannot be a prosecution of the former president uh, for those very same actions. Here's uh, Judge Florence Pan sort of trying to stretch out some of this stress test, this argument uh, that uh, the former president's legal team is making. Listen. Could a president order SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival? That's an official act in order to seal Team 6? He, he would have to be and would speedily be, you know, uh, uh, impeached and convicted before the criminal what prosecution. If you weren't, what if you weren't? There would be no criminal prosecution, no p- criminal liability for that? Chief Justice's opinion in Marbury against Madison and uh, uh, and our constitutional tradition and the plain language of the impeachment judgment clause all clearly presuppose that what the founders were concerned about was not... I asked a, you a yes, no, yes or no question. 
Could a president who ordered SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival who was not impeached, would he be subject to criminal prosecution? If he were impeached and convicted first. And so, so your answer is, is no. Is, my answer is qualified, yes. And that's where you hear uh, the, the, the former president's legal team, they're being cornered really on this idea that, well, if he was impeached and he was convicted, then only then could the Justice Department actually bring a prosecution against the former president. Fascinating argument. Yeah, it really is. And we'll dive into that more in just a matter of, in a second here. But Evan, I want to first ask you about what it was like, what it was like in the courtroom. You were inside the room itself. You were watching Donald Trump. What was he doing as this all played out? Well, for most of the, uh, the, the, his, uh, his attorney's uh, presentation, the former president stood, uh, sat there. He leaned forward a few times uh, when he was trying to listen to uh, Judge Henderson, who spoke very softly. Uh, he was paying attention, very close attention. Uh, occasionally, uh, he started taking notes, though, when, uh, the, gov when uh, the government's presentation began, when James Pierce, uh, the government attorney, began making his presentation, the former president taking furious notes uh, in some on a yellow pad, on, in some cases passing those notes uh, to his attorneys, to John Sauer. Uh, we don't know whether Sauer used any of those notes uh, in some of his presentation, but I'll say uh, near the end, Manu, near the end of the presentation, where uh, Sauer was trying to make his closing, he uh, goes back to, uh, to this idea that uh, the former president uh, is not facing any allegations for anything outside of his duties in office. This is something that has been a central part of their argument. Uh, he motioned to his client, to the former president, and Trump nodded, nodded very, very strongly at, at, uh, at his lawyers, so seemingly very approving of that particular argument. So, so interesting. We'll see how they decide to rule. Could happen quickly. Evan Perez outside the courthouse. Thank you for that. And now I want to bring in two of our favorite legal analysts. Shan Moon is here with me in Washington. And Jennifer Rogers joins us from New York. Thank you both for joining us this morning. Jennifer, I want to uh, start with you. But I want to, first I want you guys both to listen to how the attorneys on both sides of this case uh, responded to that hypothetical that Evan talked about from Judge Pan about if Trump, as president, committed a criminal act but was not impeached, was was, was impeached but not convicted, whether he would be pro could be uh, found uh, could be prosecuted. This is how those attorneys responded to that. What kind of world are we living in? If, as I understood my friend on the other side to say here, a president orders his SEAL team to assassinate a political rival and resigns, for example, before an impeachment, not a criminal act. President sells a pardon, resigns, or is not impeached, not a crime. I think that is extraordinarily frightening future. What he is forecasting is a situation where the floodgates will be opened. We are in a situation where uh, we have the prosecution of the chief political opponent who's winning in every poll. Uh, election upcoming next year and is being prosecuted by the administration that he's seeking to replace. That is the frightening future. Jennifer, what is your takeaway from that back and forth? So this is what we call the parade of horribles. This is when the lawyers say, if you find this way, here's how horrible things can get under your interpretation. And the use of hypotheticals is very common by judges and also by counsel to try to say, if you do this, here's what it means. So that's why you have those contrasting views. Trump's lawyers saying, you know, no presidents will be able to do anything because they'll be so scared of what might happen to them. And you have the special counsel's lawyers say, 
Presidents can do anything, including kill their political rivals with no consequences whatsoever. And then you have the court kind of chiming in with their own hypotheticals to kind of test the boundaries. So that's a very common argument method. Uh, and I think it's very effective here when you think about a president who might order the assassination of a political rival to think about how that would be obviously a terrible thing. Although, honestly, the truth is you don't have to go too far from the facts of this particular case to have a parade of horribles, right? The notion of a president doing what this former president did, influencing an election, trying to steal an election. So, you know, in some ways, the parade of horribles, you know, plays out with the facts of this case. But that's what they're doing there. And it's an effective tool. And I think that it helps to educate the public as well about what the stakes are here. And we heard that a Trump attorney, along with Trump himself, talk about uh, the fact that Donald Trump is the front runner in this campaign, Shan. Do you think that uh, that actually has could have some uh, convince the judges that Donald Trump is a front runner. He very well could be the nominee, and that's why he's being targeted here. I think that's in the back of their minds. That's why the case is so high profile. But whether he's a front runner or not, or if he barely had a blip in the polls, that doesn't affect legal analysis. I mean, either there is presidential immunity or not. That does not depend upon public polling. Uh, and to Jennifer's point here, the parade of horribles or the Pandora's box argument here, that's absolutely true, except it's flipped. The Pandora's box that would be opened is if the court, any court were to find that you can't prosecute a president for doing anything, that's the Pandora's box. And Trump is showing us exactly what's in it. He talks about it all the time, what he's going to do. Yeah, and we'll talk more about that, too, in the next block, about what Trump says he will do, about if the Pandora's box, as he says, is open here. What was so interesting, too, in this uh, court proceeding today was about what, them talking about the impeachment proceedings that played out in the Capitol. Remember, Donald Trump was acquitted after he was uh, impeached by the House. And a large part, a lot of the senators said that if there is something that Donald Trump did to break the law, the the courts and the, the, the legal system would take shape, would deal with it outside of the political process. That back and forth played out in court today. He was, he was president at the time, and his position was that no former office holder is immune. And in fact, the argument was there's no need to vote for impeachment because we have this backstop, which is criminal prosecution, and it seems that many senators relied on that and voting to acquit. That relies on speculation. You said it, I think, statement. What, I mean, the court, I think, lacks uh, the ability to intuit what senator, what motivated senators' votes in the impeachment process. Ah, but good thing we have tape, uh, because he says that relies on speculation. Well, actually, not so much. This is what Senator Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader, said about his decision to acquit. But this underscores that impeachment was never meant to be the final forum for American justice. We have a criminal justice system in this country. We have civil litigation. And former presidents are not immune from being accountable by either one. What's your take, Jennifer? So what this all underscores here is that in evaluating whether this clause actually 
does give him immunity here. You know, it's not so much about whether Donald Trump, through his agents, conceded before that he could be prosecuted later. I mean, the judges can think about that, but they really do have to analyze this on its own merits. But the issue is, this is a political process. Impeachment is a political process. It has legal trappings, but it doesn't have anything to do with whether, you know, these legal proceedings going on now, it's separate. So you can't expect that someone will be impeached and convicted in the Senate on the legal merits, right? It's, it's a political thing. So that really, to me, is what the, the court is thinking about. They're just thinking that's a separate thing. Double jeopardy is a legal issue, not a political issue. And we're going to decide what this clause means without thinking about that issue as he frames it. Yeah, I mean, look, I covered that trial very closely. I talked to so every single senator who was in, took a vote, essentially. I heard that time and time again. This is the ones who voted to acquit. Let's deal with this in the legal system. Let's not deal with this in the political system. And now this is obviously going to be tested in the court. Shan, I do want to ask you, Shan, Shan about the uh, the judges here in this case, because you actually have a history of here of the of in front of uh, three, all three of them, I, I suppose, right? In, in this case, what do you? What is your um, understanding of how they may be weighing in on this, and what do you think of the judges themselves? Um, these are very sharp judges, uh, and I've argued in front of a couple. There are two uh, Biden appointees, one uh, George H.W. Bush appointee. Right. Uh, and I would say probably the star of the questioning today probably was Judge uh, Florence Pan, who, full disclosure, is a friend of mine and a friend of my family's. Um, but she really cut to the heart of the matter with these hypotheticals. And just as Jennifer was saying, hypotheticals are meant to explore the outer bounds of what the arguments are. So it puts a stress test on what the crux of the arguments are. And when you look at what the judges were asking about today, they very clearly get the idea that if you argue for absolute broad presidential immunity, there's a lot of problems for the system when you do that. And that's what they were trying to get to. And I really don't think under that questioning that Trump's team was able to satisfy the court. Yeah, we'll see if they decide to rule as soon as this week. Sham Wu, Jennifer Rogers, thank you both for joining us on this consequential morning. And coming up, the political fallout from today's hearing and Trump's decision to spend the day in Washington, in the Washington courtroom instead of the Iowa campaign trail. That's next. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life. I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra processed foods. There is a lot to learn there. Some fascinating stuff. 
And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. After his court hearing this morning, former President Trump said prosecuting him would lead to opening a, quote, Pandora's box. It's the opening of a Pandora's box, and that's a very, that's a very sad thing that's happened with this whole situation. Uh, when they talk about uh, threat to democracy, that's your real threat to democracy. And I feel that as a president, you have to have immunity. I'm joined by my great panel of reporters to talk about that and much more. Boston Globe's Jackie Kucinich, NPR's Aisha Roscoe, and CNN's Elena Train. Good afternoon to you all. It's nice to see you. Thanks for being here. Uh, This has obviously become Trump's new reality. The courtroom and the camp. He could be on the campaign trail. He could have chose to completely ignore this. He doesn't have to be in Washington sitting here. What is behind this strategy here? Is it simply just to suck up all the oxygen out of the room? It's part of it. Um, I think there's a couple things, and you're totally right. I think the. We were six days to Iowa, and he's here in Washington. And he's here in exactly. All of his candidate, uh, all of his rivals, are on the trail, pounding the ground. He's here in Washington, and I think what you said is is really important to point out, which is that this was a choice. He didn't have to be here. He's choosing to take himself off the trail and be in court today. And part of it is, um, yes, they do want to suck up all the oxygen. They do recognize that when Donald Trump is in court, um, when he's talking about his legal issues, all of the media, everyone's attention is on him. Um, And of course, this is a very crucial time when a lot of his rivals are trying to get that last minute traction, trying to get the last minute media attention. Um, He's sucking up the oxygen away from that. But the other part is that One, these are things that Donald Trump cares very much about. He very much believes that's in this immunity argument, that he was immune from facing charges or he is immune from facing charges because he was president at the time. It's exactly why you're also going to see him in court on Thursday for Mm -hmm. a different case, an entirely different courtroom. It says uh, New York civil fraud trial, the closing arguments. He's going to be in court for that as well. And again, another uh, case that is very personal to Donald Trump. So part of it is he cares a lot about this. The other part is they recognize the political benefits of him being here and also um, the boost he sees from a lot of people Mm -hmm. who really do believe that he is a victim of political persecution. And it's a good thing that you mentioned that because (laughs) lo and behold, we have a voter from Iowa talking about just that and perhaps why Donald Trump is leaning into the fact that he has been charged 91 times. When people are working so hard for him not to be able to run, not to have the just the fight he had for four years and the four years since then, um, that that speaks positively to me. Because sometimes you don't look at just the people that are in favor of you; you look at who's against you. You look at who's against you. I mean, that's really what Trump is trying to do: unite the base against the prosecutors who are coming after him. Which is why you're not hearing his opponents really go after him for this particular thing, because they know that it it just has had the effect of rallying his supporters and even though who those who like maybe weren't all in initially to behind him. And listen, this also is a fundraising Mm -hmm. play for Trump. Every time he's in front of a judge, every time he's doing what he just did. He makes money he, yeah. from the campaign trail because of that very thing you said, that people think that, that, that people are lining up against him. He's very good at playing the victim, and they want to support him. Yeah, look, and before you jump in, Aisha, I'm, that's going to be the, one of the things. that If we look back in this primary season and Trump does win, did the opponents fail to perhaps use, seize on the fact that 
He has been charged with crimes legitimately <laughs> in these very, very serious cases. And should they have seized on this one way or the other? There's a New Hampshire poll out this morning. We're going to talk much more about that in the next segment. But it, Donald Trump is still ahead. He's the first choice for the nominee. Yes, he's losing ground, which we'll talk about how Nikki Haley's rise in the next segment. But still, he is ahead. But the question, again, is was it a mistake not for these candidates not to take advantage of the fact that he's been hit with 91 charges in four different criminal cases. Well, it shows how strong he is that the fact that they couldn't really hit him. Like when you have some, you're, when you're running against someone who you can't really talk bad about because everyone likes him so much, it's going to be hard for you to win, right? Like it's going to be hard for you to stand out because you have a base that is in love with Trump and they remain in love with Trump. And I think that even if you didn't have these charges, they would still rally around him. The question is, this is great for the primary. This is great for mm -hmm. him. In the general is where True. it's an issue. He has always been able to rally the base, but that did not work. No matter what he says, he did not win the last election. So rallying the base did not work for him then. So yeah, that's, that's the true. problem. Yeah, look, it's going to be a big general election question. We'll see if he does get there. It seems like he will. We'll see how this plays out. But one thing also is interesting uh, as part of this uh, poll that came out this morning about just how independent voters are viewing all of this. January 6th and obviously the efforts to try to get him off of the ballot alleging that he uh, was uh, he violated the 14th Amendment. This is the Trump bears responsible for January 6th according to this poll. 59% of New Hampshire voters and independents say that Trump bears responsibility. That same poll uh, said that, uh, and the question about the 14th Amendment, if, uh, about whether they support Trump being removed from the main ballot, 40% of independents, yeah, not a majority, but 40%. That's a sizable amount of independent voters who believe Trump shouldn't be president. It shouldn't be disqualified from being president or a majority saying he was responsible for January 6th. No, I mean, I think the issue with independent voters is something that the Trump campaign also recognizes that they have a problem with. And I think, again, and to your point, Aisha, is, is the difference in the primary versus the general. And this is going to be an issue, I think, in the general. I will say, though, however, that something that I've been finding really in interesting in my conversations with Trump's team is they have believed, I remember when the indictments first were released over the summer and in last spring, um, they thought that the boost that Trump was seeing would be short-lived. They thought that the fundraising, um, his rise in the polls, all of that would be short-lived, but it's actually been extended. And I think it's that's something that they're also looking at very closely. Obviously, maybe not doing as well with independence, but it's something that they've seen has really lasted beyond the immediate impact of the indictments and has continued, um, of course, being helped in his appearances in court today, him uh, repeatedly reminding voters that he is in court, that he's facing these issues. And he's warning of this yes. Pandora's box. <laughs> yes. What does that mean for him in his mind, that he's going to go after, if he wins, he's going to go after his political opponents the, you know, the way he believes he's been persecuted? Well, he's been saying that, like, during, I mean, when we covered him, you know, when he was in the White House, he was constantly talking about going against his enemies and how Obama had broken the law because he influenced the Justice Department, while at the same time saying that he has complete, the complete control of the Justice Department and there's nothing wrong with him say, telling the Justice Department what to do. So I feel like what you hear with Donald Trump is he can do whatever he wants and everybody else needs to be very cautious yeah. or they'll open the Pandora's box that he wants to open himself. Which That's has been right. very tricky for the Biden campaign because yeah. he, they don't want to weigh in on this at all because Biden has been very resolute about not interfering with the Justice Department as you know, Trump liked to say he did. Right. And there's a special <laughs> uh, counsel who brought this Exa case. Precisely. Exactly. Yeah. And so that that has presented a, a real hurdle for them.
mm-hmm. in this campaign. Yeah, because if you talk about it, then, well, you own it. But at the same time, he has been charged. So we'll see if that, how that plays out in a general election if they do face each other. All right, coming up, the entire state of Iowa is under a winter storm warning. How the snow and extreme temperatures are already impacting the Iowa caucuses. A brand new CNN poll out this morning. Nikki Haley has slashed Donald Trump's lead there to single digits. Her support is up 12 points since our last poll in November. And she's the only one with any momentum in the Granite State. And Ron DeSantis' campaign there has all but collapsed. But this week, Haley is focused on Iowa. Here she is just this morning in the suburbs outside Des Moines. The only way we're going to win the majority of Americans is if we go forward with a new generational leader that leaves the negativity and the baggage in the past and goes forward with the solutions for the future. Don't complain about what happens in a general election if you don't play in this caucus. It matters. CNN's Kylie Atwood is following Haley today in Iowa. So, Kylie, tell us about Haley's attacks against Trump and how voters are responding to those. Well, listen, Nikki Haley in this poll, as you guys said, continued momentum for her in New Hampshire. She is now at 32 percent, Trump at 39 percent. She's narrowing the gap when it comes to uh, the difference between her and the former president on the campaign trail in New Hampshire. Now, an important aspect of this poll, Manu, is that her support among independents and moderates is growing. And so that is a key area for us to watch. And not in all of the primaries are independents even allowed to partake. Uh, So that is an area to watch because can she continue this momentum? Can she grow on that momentum after New Hampshire in states where there aren't independents that are able to partake in the actual primary voting process? Now, she's out on the campaign trail today. She's the first candidate to have an event here in Iowa today. And what she's telling voters here is that they can't complain about what happens in November if they don't partake in the Iowa caucus. And uh, Kylie, as we can see on our screen there, it is quite snowy. And I'm sure it is not warm doing those outdoor live shots in Iowa right now. So how are the candidates' plans being impacted by that massive winter storm you're all enduring? Well, obviously, the impact is undeniable. I mean, yesterday, Nikki Haley had to cancel an event. Vivek Ramaswamy went ahead with his events, but then he tweeted out a photo of his car actually going into a ditch on his way back to Des Moines from northwest Iowa. He was uh, poking jabs at Nikki Haley for canceling hers, but then just this morning, he canceled a few of his events. So uh, there's a lot going on here right now. Folks are trying to get around uh, with these roads, which are quite slick, uh, given that there are these snowstorms coming through the state right now. Uh, But what Nikki Haley said to voters today at her event was that she was pleasantly pleased that there was a packed house. She thought there could only be five people. And when we talked to uh, Iowa caucus goers in that room this morning, what they told us is that this is Iowa. They are prepared to go out and caucus uh, on next Monday, which is just six days from today. And Haley's campaign, for their part, says what they're focused on is staying in touch with their support to make sure that they are reminded that Monday is caucus day, that they're going to get out there and vote for Haley. And they don't think that the weather is going to have a deeply chilling effect on the turnout. But we'll just have to watch and see. I would, yeah, deeply chilling effect. I like what you did there. And we'll see. It's going to be below zero there. But Iowans know cold weather in January. Kyla Atwood from a very cold 
All right, well, thank you so much. Our panel is back here in, a, in, a, in our warm set. A little cool in here, but not like... I'm cold for her. Yeah, cold yeah. for her, watching her. So the question here when you look at this poll is just how strong Nikki Haley's support is in New Hampshire. And if you just look, dig a little deeper, it says that 54% of Haley supporters are definitely decided on the primary vote. 80% of Trump supporters. The rest of the candidates, their support is about 45%, according to this poll. What do you take away from that, Jackie? She's, she's, she's holding firm with that, you know, more than half. However, I mean, there, it is pretty, it, it's soft in places. People could change their mind. I mean, in, in, in this poll and also um, the Boston Globes, which is a little bit different that came out today, I don't want to be Chris Christie if I'm looking at these polls because he has, what, 12% in, in, in one of them and, and about the same in the other. And almost all of his voters say if he wasn't in the race, they would vote for Nikki Haley mm -hmm. because and that that just increase ratchets up the pressure on Christie, who you know, a lot of people called for him to, to bow out up until this point. Yeah. Fancy you mentioned that because we actually <laughs> have that uh, poll as well, showing that where uh, how people would vote their second choice for nominee. This is among Chris Christie voters. It's an interesting question that this poll to ask Christie voters, who would you vote for? Let's say if Christie was not your choice. Haley, 65 percent of Nikki Haley vote, would vote for Nikki Haley. Christie has been saying for, in, in, look at Trump, less than 1%, less than that asterisk means less than 1%. Uh, but what they're saying here is that Christie, if they wasn't in the race, potentially Haley would have even more support. They'd give a chance to knock off Trump. Because they're, they're competing for the same voters, right? The same people who are looking for that alternative to Trump are looking at Chris Christie and Nikki Haley. I, I think the problem for both Chris Christie and Nikki Haley, and we got to give you know credit to her for being able to get where she's at today, is that you have a base that is not really for them. Is that, yes, the independents, the moderates will go for them, but is that going to really get them the nomination? And that's, that's the problem. If only she could run in the general and didn't have to go through the, the, the primary, the nominating process, she'd be in much better shape. Yeah, and that's a great point because the same poll asked about moderate voters and conservative voters. Where does Nikki Haley's support line? Kylie was mentioning this as well, but just to talk a little bit more about it, her support clearly in the moderate lane. 55% of people who identify themselves as moderate voters in New Hampshire support Nikki Haley. Just 13% of those support Donald Trump. 60%. Trump is dominating the conservative lane. 60%. Look, this may be good for her in New Hampshire, but John McCain won New Hampshire in 2000. George W. Bush became the nominee in 2000 because all these other states, they don't have that same, not all of them, have that same moderate appeal or independent mm -hmm. voters or even our open primaries. Some of them are closed primaries and they cater to the conservatives that Donald Trump uh, appeals to. No, absolutely. And I think that's why you see Nikki Haley spend so much time in New Hampshire, targeting New Hampshire, because the way that that primary is set up, it is very different than the other races. And look, I think just a really good example of Nikki's Haley or Nikki Haley's rise in New Hampshire is how we're seeing the other candidates react, specifically Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've seen for the past several months now, he's really only gone after Ron DeSantis on the campaign trail. I've gone to nearly all of his rallies and you hear him repeatedly hitting DeSantis. But in recent weeks, a lot of that fire, if not all of that fire, has been trained on Nikki Haley. We're seeing his campaign, also his super PAC, pouring millions mm -hmm. of dollars into New Hampshire, attacking her. And that's because she is rising. And I think the key 
way that the Trump campaign looks at it, and I think the other rivals are the same, is that, yes, New Hampshire's one race, but it's also defining. If she can do really well, if she can come in second in Iowa, if she can do really well in New Hampshire, that will set her up so much better for Nevada and South Carolina and the other races that mean so much in this primary. And the question, of course, through all the Trump opponents is how they deal with Trump. We talked a little bit about in the last segment that it shied away from all those criminal charges. Nikki Haley was asked about this last night. Just because President Trump says something doesn't make it true. He said January 6th was a beautiful day. I think January 6th was a terrible day. I hope we never see that happen again. President Trump was the right president at the right time. I agree with a lot of his policies. But rightly or wrongly, chaos follows him. And y'all know I'm right. Chaos follows him. She's kept that line for some yes. time. Chaos, it's about chaos. Not diving into kind of the specifics here. Is that... What do you make of her strategy? She's really trying to walk a line of not upsetting the Trump faithful and perhaps those people that are on the bubble. Unlike Chris Christie, who's been, you know, said what he said about Trump and has been very consistent since he started running. It's been very never Trump-esque. She hasn't had that. She's She has been more like a, we should move on from Trump. Thank you very much. Next. And that has been her consistent, uh, for a candidate that has been kind of all over the place on some other issues, she's been very consistent in that approach against yeah, the former president. Meanwhile, what happened to Ron DeSantis' campaign? Look, he is still banking on Iowa. He needs, he's been saying we need to win Iowa. We'll see if he actually gets, uh, how close he gets to Trump if he does not win Iowa. He's barely a factor in New Hampshire. And today he's in Florida. He's giving a yeah. speech in Florida. It's state of the state, which he has to give as the governor of Florida. You look at the polls right there. He is uh, barely a, a blip there, 5% now. He's down four points in New Hampshire. If he does not come any, if he loses by double digits in, in Iowa, can he stay in this race? I think it would be very difficult because what is the case for him? You know, right. I mean, he was such, he was this figure that I think we see often where you're not on the national scale yet. You're on your state, you're the governor and everybody is looking at you. But then when you get onto that presidential campaign trail, you just cannot take a punch. You cannot roll with the, you, you can't do it. You cannot rise above. And Nikki Haley has done it. Ron DeSantis has not. Yeah, and we'll mm -hmm. see. Ron DeSantis will have a chance to talk, be on the national stage tomorrow as a reminder <laughs> the cnn presidential debate set for tomorrow night nikki haley and ron DeSantis will face off at drake university in des moines iowa starting at 9 p.m eastern dana bash will be moderating along with jake tapper okay ahead back in session and back to butting heads high stakes talks over government funding and border security collide in congress I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. House Speaker Mike Johnson returns to Washington today, facing an uprising in the ranks. Does that sound familiar? Well, it is. The hard right is furious at a deal he cut intended to keep the government open, saying it spends too much money. And now he has just 10 days left to turn that bipartisan deal into a law. But some fellow Republicans are saying the House should include tough new border security restrictions to the funding bill, even if it risks a showdown with Democrats and a possible government shutdown. 
Here's what Congressman Jim Jordan told me. We should use every opportunity, every must-pass bill, we should be looking to put on that legislation um, language that would, would address the problem. Aren't you concerned that could risk a shutdown? If, if the Democrats think that not fun, keeping the border in the crazy situation it is, which is on pace to get to 12 million, is, is more important than, than funding our government, that's on them. CNN's Melanie Zanona is strolling the halls of the Capitol, as she always is, and talking to her sources and to lawmakers. So what is your sense of how Speaker Johnson is going to navigate this dilemma? Well, Speaker Johnson is on very complicated footing as he heads into the new year. Border politics, which is already very complicated, has now been injected to almost every debate happening on Capitol Hill, from Israel and Ukraine aid to now government funding. And meanwhile, as you mentioned, Johnson is facing some very serious and loud criticism from his right flank over this bipartisan agreement he made on top-line overall funding numbers for the government. A deal, which we should point out, is very similar to the one former Speaker Kevin McCarthy made in last summer before he was ousted. So there is really this growing sentiment inside the GOP right now that Johnson is getting rolled by Democrats and that maybe he's not getting up to speed on the job as quickly as some had hoped. But that's not to say that his job is immediately at risk. I don't think there's an appetite at this moment to do another motion to vacate the Speaker's chair. But as we've seen, his right flank can cause a host of other headaches and problems for the Speaker. So these are voices that he simply can't ignore. And it's really interesting, his strategy here, because look, those are the same voices that you say he can't ignore. But they're the ones who, as you said, pushed out Kevin McCarthy from the speakership. They're the ones who 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 essentially said because he tried to keep the government open and did not seek spending cuts, he should be out as speaker. But since then, he has moved to keep the government open without seeking spending cuts. He has moved a defense bill, cut deal with Democrats that essentially he used a process to circumvent the right flank so he can get it passed by a significant bipartisan vote. And he he may do that again on this government funding bill, essentially pushing the right flank to the side, working with Democrats to get this through. How do you think that's going to go over? Not well. I mean, Manu, you know these people as well as I do in terms of the Freedom Caucus and the hard right. They're going to be furious if Johnson indeed works with Democrats to fund the government. So he's really boxed himself into a corner here because he has also said that he's not going to pass any more short-term government funding bills. But the next deadline is January 19th. That is just around the corner. He's now dealing with criticism over these top-line funding numbers, facing pressure to inject border politics and demands into these fights. Now, he hasn't gone as far as embracing those calls to shut down the government over this issue, but he is making it a top priority. So all of it is risking a potential shutdown in just a matter of a few weeks here, Manu. Yeah, and look, he has not yet said whether or not he would actually do what Jim Jordan said that he should do, which is include provisions in there dealing with border security in this must-pass plan. Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority this morning, said that's a poison pill. That will absolutely not, should not be included here. That could risk a shutdown. That is a big fight. We'll see how that plays out. There is not much time. Once again, potential causing a mess of their own making. And Melanie Zanana will be there to cover it all. <laughs> Thank you, Melanie, for joining me this afternoon. And next for us, indicted New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez. He proclaims his innocence on the Senate floor, blasting new sensational charges, he says, against him. Senator Bob Menendez defended himself on the Senate floor this morning. Prosecutors have charged the New York New Jersey Democrat with participating in a year-long corruption scheme with Qatari and Egyptian officials, allegations he has emphatically denied. 
The sensationalized allegations are now creating a rising call for my resignation, despite my innocence, and before a single piece of evidence has even been introduced in a court of law. The United States Attorney's Office is engaged not in a prosecution, but a persecution. They seek a victory, not justice. I have received nothing, absolutely nothing, from the government of Qatar or on behalf of the government of Qatar. Now, one Democratic senator not holding back this morning. Senator John Fetterman, the freshman Democrat, telling reporters, quote, that sleazeball has got to go. Menendez's term is up this year. He has not said whether he would run for re-election, but Democrats have lined up to run against him in the primary. Now, before we go, a quick reminder. The CNN Republican presidential debate set for tomorrow night. Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis will face off at Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa, starting at 9 p.m. Eastern. Dana Bash will be monitoring along with Jake Tapper. Thanks for joining Inside Politics today. CNN News Central starts after this quick break. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 